Good evening, everybody. I hope you're able to hear me. Yes. Yes, Pastor. Yes, Pastor. Okay. We'll start. We'll start. <clears throat> Let's look to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> Glorious Father, we come before you this evening. You are our Lord. You are the King of Kings, Lord of Lords. You are seated on the throne, O oh Lord. We pray, Lord, we'll be able to grasp this truth in our mind, in our hearts, in our very being. As we study the word of God, there is life in the word of God. There is strength in the word of God. Spirit of God, you teach each one of us. We want to know you a little more. We want you more this evening. Bless us together. Take complete control of this session and let this be a blessed time for each one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> we are um, now into the second psalm, uh, a familiar psalm. Most of us, we know some of the verses from this psalm by heart. Uh, we could call this psalm as refuge in God. Uh, what do I mean by refuge in God? As we go through the psalm, we'll be able to understand this. Uh, this, this psalm is basically uh, known as a royal psalm. Uh, there are 11 royal psalms uh, in this book. That's out of 150 psalms. 11 psalms have been classified as royal psalms. And uh, since we'll be studying only book one, as I said, there are five books in the book of Psalm. As we'll be studying only the first uh, book, that is from uh, Psalm 1 to 41, uh, we have four royal Psalms a day, uh, Psalm 2, Psalm 18, Psalm 20, and Psalm 21. These are all royal Psalms. And as we come to these Psalms, you will understand why this is called as a royal psalm. Now, royal psalms are compositions. Basically, these are all poems, songs, prayer. So basically, these are compositions primarily concerned with the human kings of Judah or human kings of Judah. Uh, we we need to realize that these kings, they considered themselves as uniquely authorized and empowered by Yahweh as adopted sons. Uh, that's the way they considered themselves. Uh, when we come to the New Testament, we realize that when we study, when we come to the book of Revelation, uh, the kings, they considered themselves as God and they wanted people to worship them. So uh, in the ancient, even today, there are people in part they consider as avatars of God. So these kings of Judah and Israel, they considered themselves as Yahweh's adopted sons. It's important for us to understand this so that when we go through the psalm, uh, we will be able to understand now, <clears throat> so when we are reading about this, they're basically with the human kings of Judah. Uh, now, why these Psalms were written? These Psalms were basically written to provide some kind of liturgy. That means whenever the king wanted to go and worship God in the temple, uh, they had some kind of Psalms and these are the Psalms they sang. It, it's a kind of a ritual. Uh, whenever the king wanted to worship, uh, where, uh, whether it is on a regular basis or for special occasions, for example, when a king is enthroned, they have a psalm. Uh, the wedding day of king, they have a psalm. So these psalms were basically used uh, to help 
the human king to worship God. It's part of their liturgy. Uh, if there is a special occasion and it involves king, they knew which psalm to sing. The priests and the musicians, they knew which psalm to sing. Let me give you just a few examples. Now, today we are seeing Psalm 2. This Psalm 2 is basically the divine authorization of the Davidic dynasty by Yahweh. Basically, his David's dynasty will last. He will be powerful and it has got divine authorization. That's what Psalm 2 says. <clears throat> now, when we come to 18, it's a thanksgiving for victory. God has given victory to king. And so it's a thanksgiving for victory. And when we come to 20, uh, it's basically praying for divine favor and protection for the king. So that psalm is used for divine favor and protection. And 21, it is again a song of praise of thanksgiving for the victories granted to the king. And 45 is a song of praise on the wedding day of the king. And once Psalm 101, 110, the enthronement of the king, 110 is well known to us. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for you. So uh, these are known as royal psalms. And they basically considered, uh, they're concerned with the human kings of Judah. Now, what can we study from these royal psalms? Uh, these royal psalms, they give us some kind of an insight into the ideology of Jerusalem kingship. The basic ideology. Being in India, now you know what is the ideology of the um, party in power <clears throat> like that. These royal psalms, they offer us the insight into the ideology of Jerusalem kingship. So but we can, when we study it carefully, we'll be able to find out. Then how the kings understood themselves. And their authority, their roles, and their hopes. So these psalms are, they, they, they are very useful and they give us some kind of idea to look into the, these areas. You know, they were, they were all governed by kings and on what basis these kings, they ruled over the people and from where did they get that authority? Were they accountable or did they, how did they rule over the people? what happened to them and what kind of hope they had. So these Psalms, they give us uh, that kind of an insight. Now, this is from the word of God. That's the beauty. Now, when these Psalms were written, no one had any idea that in 2022, uh, AGAG Church will be conducting a Bible study on Psalm 2. They had no idea. All that they knew is about David and they were praying for David's favor and protection. Uh, that's what they were concerned. They had no idea what's going to happen uh, 3,000 years from then. But then this is God's word. So God's word is relevant even for today. So we can see these Psalms are there in the word of God, basically to point us somewhere beyond these kings. That's the beauty of the word of God. If, it is, if it's only speaking about King David, King David is no more. It has no relevance for us. But these Psalms are pointing beyond King David. It is going beyond the human kings of the Davidic dynasty. Uh, we all know the history of these kings. When we read uh, 
first king, second kings, you know, we always, sometimes we get discouraged. You know, the king is bad. This king was good. This king was evil and they did more evil. And so we, we know the history and we knew these human kings, they failed. These human kings, they failed or they were unable to do, uh, to do what they were asked to do. In fact, uh, Assyrians came, uh, they, they took over Israel and the Babylonians came and they took over Judah. So these kings were not there even to fight. The kings were trying to escape, uh, leaving the people behind. This is the kind of kings we see in the Bible. And these kings definitely, uh, they failed in their role. So these Psalms are pointing us beyond the original concern. If we only limit ourselves to Jerusalem, we will miss the point. Or if you only focus on those human kings, uh, we miss the point. So these royal psalms, they point beyond the original concern. Because we are very clear, we know that from history, the human kings of Israel and Judah, they failed. They failed. They were not successful except for two or three kings. The rest of them were a failure. But God's plan will stand and God would accomplish his plan through his anointed one, the Messiah. So these royal Psalms are also pointing us towards God's anointed one, the Messiah. So the anointed one would come in the future. So Prophetically, these Psalms are pointing towards the anointed one who would come in the future. And when this anointed one comes, you know, he will usher in the kingdom of God or he will bring the kingdom of God over all the earth. It will no longer, it will be limited only to Israel or Judah or it will cover all the earth. So that's what these Psalms, they teach us. Now, who is our king? Who is our king? You can unmute yourself and you can answer. Are you all there or not? God. Jesus. Jesus. Is Jesus is our king. Uh, Jesus is our king. So we Christian, because Jesus is our king, we Christians associate these royal psalms with Jesus, our king. Uh, that's how we read the psalm, we understand, and we are blessed by reading these psalms. And because Jesus is our king, these psalms, they become very personal to us. No longer we are talking about David, we are talking about Jesus, our king. Because Jesus is our king, through Jesus, because these Psalms are also pointing to the anointed one who would come in the future, who has come now. And he is our king because Jesus is our king. So we claim these Psalms for ourselves. Uh, any doubts? Before we go to Psalm 2, any doubt? Okay. If there are no doubts, we are now just, uh, we'll go through Psalm 2. Now, Psalm 2 verses 1 to 3. Why do the nations conspire? 
and the peoples plot in vain. The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Uh, why did I say no intimidation? We have no fear. No fear in the midst of what's happening. What's happening? What was happening then? The nations around Judah and Israel and all, they were conspiring. The people were plotting and they all want to come against this king. And today also, the same thing is happening. Each day, the media highlights new things to fear. You know, we had COVID, then they said wave one, wave two, wave three, wave four. Then they say Ukraine, Russia war. They said the you know, economy will collapse. There's no good news. You know, the media, what we see in the media is always reports that generate or instill fear in our heart. We go to doctor, doctor has nothing good to say. So this is, this is the kind of world, you know, we are, we are filled with fear. It is, it's happening today, it happened then. You know, people say that, you know, this, if you obey God, oh, there's no use. You need to be practical. Uh, I'm sure those who have young children, they will, uh, they will get to hear all this, especially when they go to college and all. They will, they will come with these remarks. <clears throat> Religion is very restricting. You know, it's very narrow-minded. If you talk about faith, it's very narrow-minded. You cannot live like this in 21st century, the way people lived in those days. This was all okay for the ancient people. It is no longer applicable for us. Basically, what they are saying is, we want freedom. That's what this verse says. Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. We want freedom. And it is not only our children, deep down in every human heart, which cries out, I need freedom. I need freedom. If we are not careful, we will amplify that longing for freedom and we will be going in a different direction. Whenever we feel I need to be free, you know, that, that human cry, uh, it's, an, it's an individualistic cry. Why can't I do what I want to do? Who are you to stop this? Don't you think I'm also a self? So this cry in the human heart, if you are not careful, it'll take us in a wrong way. So freedom comes only through serving the one who created us. Too often, we, too often the, <clears throat> what we hear in the society is, you know, God is very restrictive. God curtails our freedom. You know, it is very difficult to follow God. Uh, I want freedom. They might not use the word freedom, but that's what they're saying. All these things are quite restrictive. Marriage itself is restrictive. I want freedom. But we need to remember we are not living in a perfect world. So 
if at all we want to enjoy freedom, that freedom comes only by glorifying the one who created us. If you are looking to the institutions to give us freedom, you know, it is children who rebel against their parents because they don't want to come under the parental authority and you, you have conflict in the marriage relationship because <clears throat> husband and wife, they don't want to submit to each other. So if you, if you see all this, what's happening in the world, everyone is crying out for freedom. There is a cry deep down, but the Bible says freedom comes only by glorifying God, not by having a perfect situation. Too often, you know, when we read the Psalm, as we go down the line, we will see that when Psalm prays towards the end, he will just praise God. And when he praises God, it is not that his situation has changed. His situation has not changed even one bit. But it is just being in the presence of God, submitting to God, glorifying God, thanking God, you experience the joy. <clears throat> when Hannah left the temple, there was no guarantee that she'll become pregnant. There's no guarantee she'll have a child. But she had a smile on her face. As situations did not change, but something within her changed. So freedom comes only through serving the one who created us. And all these garments for opposing God, you know, one day they will know that God still reigns. We should never forget God still reigns. As we read, sometimes we get perturbed. Sometimes we think we are the people who are managing the world affairs. Um, but we should basically, we should remember God still reigns. Because God still reigns, we can still take refuge in him from all our fears. Because God is there. He is our king. He's seated on the throne. And when we get, when we are bombarded with all kinds of negative reports, disappointments, disappointing news, we should make God as our refuge. If we are not careful, especially in times of disappointments and suffering, if we don't learn to keep our eyes on God, we will just go away from God. Though we might be saying prayer and all, we need to keep our eyes on God. And then we understand, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil because he's our refuge. He's our refuge. When God becomes my refuge, why should I fear? When God becomes my stronghold, why should I fear? That stronghold cannot be bombarded. That stronghold cannot be destroyed. Now that is why the Psalm is so important for us to make God as a refuge. Uh, we should not be intimidated by the world. That's what the Psalm teaches us. If we are filled with fear, it's very difficult for us to grow spiritually. If you want to grow spiritually, we should not be overwhelmed by fear. So all the news, all kinds of bad news, disappointing news should not make us, uh, we should not become intimidated by these news. We should not come to me, all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest. We should learn to rest. It's not enough to say God is my rest, but we should also experience that rest and we should be able to overcome our fears. Now, Psalm 2 is basically as to what's happening outside in the world. And Psalm 1 
is basically being attracted to the world. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or sit, or stand in this, um, with sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. So it is being attracted to the world. So both these things are not good. Either to be intimidated by the world or to be overly attracted by the world. We are just passing through this world. We are not going to live forever. In fact, we will live with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ forever and ever. So this world should not be a source of attraction. It may be a beautiful world, but this is not a permanent world for us. Now, what happens? Uh, <clears throat> the one, uh, you know, basically, I, it is it is God loves. So I've written as no intimidation. It's God loves. The one enthroned in heaven, he loves. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, uh, we'll come to the next verse. You know, when these people, these human kings, they're all having a conference, they're all getting together. You know, how can we become more independent? How can we rule over this world? You know, we don't have to follow anything. Uh, th there are governments which say that, you know, everything is allowed. Uh, man can marry another man, a woman can marry another woman. I don't know, uh, very soon they'll say a man can marry an animal also because these things are there in the Bible. So it is not something uh, they've invented, they want to do. But in other words, uh, these government authorities, whenever they go against God's law, they want to destroy God's created order, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. You know, the one enthroned in heaven. Why did the psalmist say the one enthroned in heaven? Basically, he doesn't want to tell us that, you know, this God is enthroned in heaven is far, far away, you know, so he is not concerned about us. You know, this is the kind of belief they had. You know, there is a God, but that God is seated in heaven or is far, far away from us. He is least bothered about what's happening in this world. He is relaxing there. So it is for us to take care of everything in this world. Uh, that is not the idea. What the psalmist is saying, he's seated in heaven, but he's not very, very far away from us. He is watching over us. He knows everything that's happening in this world. He knows all your plans. You little rulers, you have come together and you are trying, you are making a plan to upset God's plan. So the one enthroned in heaven laughs. It's basically to say that it's a kind of exaltation. The psalmist is saying, oh God, you're enthroned in heaven. You're so high, you're exalted. Once we realize this God who is seated on the throne is watching over us, is powerful, you know, that itself helps us to deal with our fears. You know, he, he knows the number of hairs I have. Not even a hair from my head will fall without his knowledge. So if he's so mindful of me, and if he is my king, and if he is seated on the throne, now all the plans these people make, you know, these little... Uh, Today, they might consider we are world power. We are that, you know, we have nuclear power. This is what they said in the 20th century. We have atomic power. Now they talk about nuclear power. You know, God is bigger than 
atomic power. God is bigger than nuclear power. God's plan will prevail. God, because God's power is so great, he is enthroned in heaven. So when we are reading all kinds of news, we should always remember God is seated on the throne. When we hear all kinds of disappointing news, we should remind ourselves God is seated on the throne. This is a broken world. We are not going to get all the time good news. In fact, we will get good news few times and most of the time we'll get bad news, disappointing news, discouraging news to show how broken is this world. This world is broken. But in the midst of all this, we have hope because God is seated on the throne. Now, this kind of uh, security or authority, the human kings in Israel, they never had. So these psalms are pointing towards the anointed one. That's the beauty of the scripture. Though they sang, but the human kings, the Israel, the kings of Israel, the kings of Judah, they never had this kind of power. So these psalms basically it shows it's God's word pointing towards the anointed one who would come. So God's power is so great because God's power is so great, you know, nobody can threaten him, you know, by atomic bombs or by nuclear bombs. God's position is not threatened. We will kill each other, but God's plan they cannot scuttle God's plan. All these human kings, all these parties, all their ideologies, they can talk anything they want, but they are not a threat to God's plan because God's plan will prevail. Even if all the nations unite against him, all the nations of the earth, even if they unite against him, they are not even a serious threat to his rule. In fact, they are not even a threat. Just a word from God is enough. So that is our God. It is in that God we should take refuge. So what happens? The one enthroned in heaven, he laughs because these human kings are plotting they all come together. They are making great plans. And the one enthroned in heaven laughs. So his divine laughter turns to anger. So it says, in his anger, his divine laugh turns into anger. And the Lord scoffs at them. You know, he makes fun of them. So that becomes a rebuke. Now, it is, he rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath. Basically, it is a divine judgment. So what can we expect from this divine judgment? What kind of divine judgment will that be? And the psalmist is saying from verse 6 onwards, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, I'll proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. Ask me, I'll make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your position. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. You know, God, it was a divine laughter which turned to anger and he rebukes and what happens in his rebuke, 
Yahweh says, I will establish my king on Zion. My holy mountain. Kings of Judah, they fail, but it doesn't mean God's plan has failed. God's purpose has failed. So Yahweh says, you know, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. So God's response to human pride and power is to install his king on Zion. These human kings were very proud and they thought they thought no end of themselves. But God's response to these kings were failed in fulfilling God's mission is not to abort his plan, not to give up his plan, but to install his king on Zion. So God's response to human pride and power is to install his son on Zion. Now, as New Testament Christians, these things are becoming very, very clear to us. So they're all, all the psalm points beyond Israel's king to Jesus. Jesus is God's true son. One day, he will put everything right. These Israel, the kings of Israel, they fail, but true Israel is Jesus. He will put everything right. But how will he do it? First, he has, go, he has to go to Zion. And then he has to die for our sins. That is the way God's plan and purpose will be fulfilled. My king, he will install that king, his son as king on Zion, his holy mountain. He has to come there first and he has to die on the cross for our sins. And it is at that time, everything will be set right. And we find words like rod of iron, and then we find pieces like pottery. Uh, they basically point to divine judgment. Uh, but it also shows you know, how fragile are these uh, this worldly nations, uh, this, the power of these kings. They are very fragile. They are making all kinds of plan. Oh, we will do that. We will run over this land, that land. But he says, you will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. You know, we see there were civilizations, powerful kingdoms have come up, come and come. And today, no one remembers what happened to that king, what happened to that nation. What happened to that civilization? No one remembers. So these human kings, they are always, you know, they try to boast about themselves, forgetting there is a God who is seated on the throne. So that is the reason the kings are warned. In fact, these kings are warned to be wise. All those who have authority should be careful. It is not only kings, everyone, Whatever authority we have, we are all asked to be wise. It could be human kings, it could be administrators, whatever, wherever we are, we are all asked to be wise. We should serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Anytime we try to oppose God, Anytime we try to rebel against God, it will be futile. futile. Uh, you know, it's very easy to go against what God says. Uh, for example, the Ten Commandments, it's very easy for us to go against those Ten Commandments. But it is not that the Ten Commandments will become null and void. When we go against this commandments, what happens to us will prove that these commandments are right. 
So we should always serve the Lord with fear. In little, little things, we might think, oh, it's only a small thing. God doesn't bother about these things. After all, he's a God of love. But it is these little, little things, these little, little foxes, which takes away joy from our hearts. So we should learn to identify these little foxes and we should try to deal with them. We should always serve the Lord with fear. How can we do it? We need to kiss his son, kiss his son. Kissing, to kiss his son is basically, we should learn to rest in God. No use carrying the burdens on our shoulders. There are too many burdens. We cannot solve all the problems. We should learn to leave our burdens at God's feet. And we should learn to rest. And we should learn to live for God. We should learn to rest in God and we should learn to live for God. All our situations, they may not be promising, they may not be encouraging. If you look to the world <clears throat> and to the people around us, including our family members, uh, we are not going to get, we will not be encouraged, but we will be able to encourage we'll be able to encourage them if we keep our eyes on God. When we derive strength from God, we'll be able to pass it on to them. So basically to kiss his son is to rest in God and to live for him. If we don't live for him, we end up fighting God himself. There are only two possibilities. Either we live for God or we are fighting God. There's no neutral ground. We are in a particular situation, we are either living for God or we are fighting God. We are either living for ourselves or we are glorifying God. Kiss's son is basically glorifying God. <clears throat> Apart from God, there is no refuge. Apart from God, our spouse, our children, our designation, our ministry, our job, our money, our, our own physical strength, you know, nothing can, nothing can give us the security which God alone can give. Apart from God, there is no refuge and only in him we have refuge. You all can hear me? Yes, Pastor. Okay. Yes, some Pastor. problem is that, Pastor. Yeah, there's some break. Uh, now, voice, voice is breaking. breaking. Okay, voice now is, is it clear? Yes. Yes, okay. okay. Now, the answer to all that is happening in the world, you know, all that is happening in our own lives, all that's happening in the world, the answer is our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, he alone can heal every brokenness. He alone can destroy evil. He alone can wipe away our sorrows. Jesus, the royal king, is, our answer, is the answer to all our problems. Now, this is a royal psalm written in the time of David basically keeping David in mind, but I said, because it is God's word, it's pointing beyond David to Jesus, our King. So how do we apply this uh, psalm? <clears throat> Sometimes it's nice to hear that, you know, uh, it says you will break them with a rod of iron you will dash them to pieces like pottery. And we want the psalm and we try to 
say that you know all the unbelieving nations uh, will be just broken into pieces. Uh, he will beat them with a rod of iron. We like to say that, but it may be true, but it is much more than that. It's much more than that. Now, sometimes we may use this psalm as a threat of judgment to those who don't believe. But that's not the way we should, uh, we should use this psalm. Now, for those of us who believe in Jesus, how do we apply this psalm? We should resist the urge to exert our rights for personal freedom. That's what the kings of the earth were planning. They want to free themselves. That's what we saw in verse 3. You know, they were all crying for their personal freedom. They were saying that, you know, if only if we can break, <clears throat> uh, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. Basically, the human kings were asking for freedom. I said deep down in our hearts, there is an urge for freedom. Uh, but we can always fight for the freedom of others. But when we are doing it for ourselves, there's so much of self-centeredness. Uh, we should resist the urge that we have. You know, I'm going to assert my authority. Uh, as followers of Jesus, we should learn to resist the urge. We should lay down our own banners of personal freedom. You know, see how I have exerted my authority. See, I know I am the boss. Uh, you know, if you read Philippians chapter two, the king whom we are following, uh, that king did not behave like this. <clears throat> We should always uh, lay down our banners of personal freedom and self-satisfactions in order to kiss the sun. Let me put this in this way. We should learn to glorify God. Even if you don't write all this, the very simple truth from the psalmist, we should learn to glorify our God. He is our king. And that king is exalted and he deserves all our worship. All that we have, he deserves. And we should glorify that God, glorify that king. And he is our refuge. So when we do this, we will basically enjoy freedom. If we want freedom, we should learn to glorify the King of Kings, we shall learn to glorify our Lord Jesus. And it is only in doing this, we are brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. If you read Romans chapter eight, uh, you realize how the children are brought uh, into freedom and glory. So what should be our prayer? After reading this Psalm, our prayer should be, Lord, teach me how to take refuge in you. Lord, I have so many issues, so many problems, so many struggles, so many doubts. I have pain, I have tribulations, but teach me to take refuge in you, O oh Lord, because I know I have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. I want to rely on your wisdom, not on my wisdom. Because I know my future is safe. No nuclear bomb, no atomic bomb can destroy my future. My future is safe. So teach me, O Lord, to take refuge in you. So those who acknowledge, 
Yahweh's rightful authority and power over their lives. When we call Jesus as king, you should be really king. Not just we say with our mouth, he's king. He should be king. Everything I have, <clears throat> everything I own, he is my king. He has authority to ask for anything that he has given to me because he's king. He's the owner. I am his servant. He's the master and I am his steward. So when we make God as our refuge, the Bible says, you will be blessed. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. So Psalm 2 is basically encouraging us, exhorting us to make God as our refuge. And when we make God as our refuge, we love to worry. We love to sit and think what will happen if this happens, that happens. We keep speculating. But as children of God, God should become refuge. And that's what prayer teaches us. This book is a book of prayer. And as you read the psalm, this psalm invites you to pray, God, be my refuge. God, be my refuge. You are my king. I'm yours, child. Have your way in my life. Okay, next. Uh, Friday, this Friday, we'll have the, the second uh, Lenten series. The Zoom link uh, will be the same as we are following it for today. Uh,